Hello, everyone. It is so good to be with you. I'm honestly like, wow, this, this conversation that we've been having for the last couple of weeks has been messing with me, and I can't wait to kind of uh, unravel kind of the next piece of what I feel like Jesus is getting into in this teaching. Uh, glad you're in the room if you're here with us. If you're watching over at Montrose, thank you for, for being there. It's good to see you from this angle. Uh, and of course, if you're online as well, thanks for tuning in as, as well. Uh, so this how do I relate to God uh, conversation we've been having over the last few weeks, check it out if you've missed it, app, website, podcast, all that kind of stuff. Uh, we've really been diving into this question of how, how, like for real, how do I relate to God? Because whether we're a vet in the faith, so to speak, we're really asking, how do I continue to grow in my faith? How can I continue to grow closer to who God is? And even if we're just checking things out for the first time, wondering if God is something we want to start giving part of our life to, we're asking, what does that mean? How do I relate to him? How do I get connected to him? And so there's lots of mysteries to that, right? There's sometimes it just feels a little bit confusing uh, and even a little bit mysterious, and that can be understandable, especially if we kind of move to a paradigm where we start to look at God as being a transactional one. I feel like I've scratched his back. Why isn't he scratching mine or vice versa? Uh, we feel like we don't do enough for God. He's done this for us. If we slip into transactional only, we miss the relationship aspect of who he is, and that's been kind of the forefront of what Jesus is showing us in this passage that we've been looking at. And so as we kind of continue in that vein and continue in that conversation, today we want to talk about this idea that Jesus starts interacting with our eyes, right? So kind of the next thing in this passage, he talks about eyes, and so we're like, what does he mean by that? What is he looking at? And if we're asking the question, how do I relate to God, how does that connect us? And so here's how this weekend will kind of play out. First of all, I think a lot of times, if we're being honest, we feel stuck, uh, and we might feel stuck in the pursuit of God, we might feel stuck in a rhythm or a temptation or a sin or something that just we can't seem to free ourselves from, and how does that work, and how does that interact with what Jesus is saying? And then we're going to look at, specifically, what is Jesus t telling us about our eyes, and how does that play into this conversation? And then I want to kind of land on this idea of avoiding double-mindedness, that Jesus is going to try to help us understand that one of the things that happens with our eyes and happens with our lives is we can feel split. We can feel pulled in two different directions. How do we kind of counteract that and follow him kind of singularly? And so that's where we're kind of, kind of be. And so my first question to y'all would be, have you ever felt stuck or do you feel stuck now? Right? Now, if we think about our brains and think about how they work, this is actually something that God has hardwired into us on purpose that we could get stuck, that we could get used to doing things, and that it would become a little bit of a habit or even a little bit of a routine rhythm or, at worst, a groove slash rut. Here's how this plays out. So take brushing your teeth, for instance. Hopefully that relates to all of us. Um, so brushing your teeth, my strong assumption is, is that when you wake up in the morning, and once again, I want to assume that's one of the times you brush your teeth, uh, you don't think about it. You put the toothpaste on the brush, you put the brush in your mouth, and you start brushing your teeth. And my guess is the last time that you thought about how to brush your teeth was probably like years and years and years ago. You just do the thing. You do the motions that you have learned to do and you don't think, okay, that tooth, that molar, okay, inside, outside. Like you probably don't do that. Or even if you do, my guess is 
those thought processes are a groove and a rhythm where you're like upper, lower, inside, out, down, lower, inside, out. Like you probably have some type of a rhythm and routine that you do even with that. Your brain is wired that way on purpose so that when it comes to things you should have down as habits, it creates a very clean and easily worn down pathway so that your brain could actually focus on other things. And that's why a lot of times when you're brushing your teeth, instead of thinking about your teeth, you're actually thinking about what do I got to do today? How should I talk to that coworker? What should I accomplish? And all the time, all throughout that thought process, your brain is naturally handling the brushing of your teeth. That's on purpose. You've probably done that driving somewhere familiar where every once in a while you're like, how I don't remember driving here. It's because you're so used to that pattern, right? That you just kind of showed up there and you didn't think about it, right? All kinds of stuff that way. You drive down 18, there's Chick-fil-A. I turn in, how did I end up in the drive-thru? Like you, it's these habits that form. Your brain creates those pathways and we get stuck in those. Unfortunately, that same blessing can be a curse, and so when we start to look at addictions, for instance, so whether it's something like a drinking thing or a food thing or a drug thing or a porn thing or a whatever thing, the same uh, things that happen in our brains to make habits habits are the same things in our brains that form addictions into addictions. And so we find ourselves going down these pathways on a regular basis, and one of the reasons it's so hard to break free from them is because of that blessing that God instilled into our brain, but now it's fighting against us. And so one of the reasons when we look around and we say, well, I kind of feel stuck. I feel stuck in this relationship. I feel stuck with my relationship with God. I feel like I can't move forward. I feel like this habit is broken. I feel like whatever that thing is, one of the reasons that's there is because of this hard wiring of our brain. So how do we get out of it? Now, unfortunately, most of us, when we think about some of our patterns and some of our habits, maybe it's things like how often you eat ice cream before you go to bed, or how often you pick up your phone and look to it for entertainment, or how often you, again, fill in your blanks. A lot of times we see those as being kind of benign. And so we think of those ruts, we think of those pathways as looking something like this. We're like, oh, there's a well down, a worn down road, a worn down path. And the reason that this is comfortable for me, the reason that this is natural and normal is because look, the pathway's already kind of clear cut. I know where to go. I know how this works. And I can stop whenever I want to. And many of us have probably said something like that about something in our life. I can, this, this can be my last cigarette. This can be the last. This can be the last. I can quit anytime. Because we think that those pathways in our brains look like this. We're like, they're just well-worn, but with a little bump to the left, I'm off the path. No problem. I can quit. I can stop. But in reality, what happens to us is those same pathways that are worn in our brain, if we would take an honest stock of where we're at, that same path looks actually more like this, where we find ourselves stuck in that ditch and we finally get out at least for a moment and all of a sudden, nope, right back in. Because none of us have ever done that before, right? Like, God, I promise, whoop, you know, honey, never again, whoop, you want to see it again, don't you? Okay. So you get pulled out of the ditch and God's like, finally, you're free. And then you're running down the road like, just kidding, I like it. <laughs> we're in a rut. And then even when we get out of the rut, we're so used to our brain, our rhythm, our habit, our routine working that way. And we just hop right back in. How do we fix that? 
I was actually talking with one of our elders this week, and uh, he had no idea what I was teaching on this weekend, but he said, well, you know what a rut is, right? And I said, what? He said, it's a grave with the ends kicked out. See, sometimes we think we're in those benign pathways. We think we're in those benign directions, and we think, I can quit whenever I want. I can change this whenever I want. But the reality of the matter is, we are like super stuck in a rut, and even when we pull ourselves out, or even when God pulls ourselves out, we're so prone to the rut, we run right back to it. What do we do about that? And what does Jesus say about that? Well, let's take a look here uh, at today's teaching. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 6. So if you have your Bible with you, open up to Matthew 6. We've been in there for the last few weeks. If you don't have a copy of the Bible and you want one, I'm serious. We would love to give you one. We have some at our info desk on the way out. So be sure to stop and talk to us. You can also follow along, of course, in a Bible app. Or I have some preloaded notes in these scriptures in our church app as well. So check those out. But Jesus, he starts talking a little bit poetically about this concept. And remember... He's talking about how do we relate to God. And so we take that mindset in and he starts walking us through a little bit of this poetic language. He says, well, your eye is like a lamp that provides light for your body. And when your eye is healthy, your whole body is filled with light. But when your eye is unhealthy, your whole body is filled with darkness. And if the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep is that darkness? Now, Jesus, I think, is helping us understand something here, but before we kind of dive into the practicality of it, let's break down some of this language and make sure we're all on the same page. So the first thing that he says is, your eye is like a lamp that provides light for your body. Okay, light for your body. Now, what he's not talking about here is just your head to your toes, you know, there's blood coursing through your veins type of body. He's actually referring to, like, who you are your identity, like your whole being, right? And if you think about it, even though we know there's some version, right, of like mind, body, spirit, when we picture people, we picture their body. Your body is a big part of your identity, right? And so when we think of people, you think of Aunt Sally, you picture Aunt Sally. You don't picture her spirit hovering in the air or hovering in a, you picture her, you picture her body. Jesus is saying this impacts all of you right? So this is something that impacts your very core, your very identity from the inside out. But then, same exact line that he says, he says, your eye is like a lamp that provides light for your body, right? So what is this light that he's talking about? This is our relational connection to God. This is all the things that are good and healthy, right? Your eye is an outlet for all of the things that God wants to instill into your life to actually get into your very core and start to actually permeate itself through your life. And so if you want your life to change, if you want your identity, who you are to actually be healthy and good, you have to let the light of God into who, the, who you are. That has to happen. And then Jesus, same line, your eye then is like a lamp that provides that light, that goodness, that health into your whole being, your identity. And so what does your eye have to do it? Your eye is simply this, it's your filter, right? And so your eye is what actually allows things in, the things that we look at, read, the things that we chase, the focus that we have. Your eye is a lamp unto your body. And so if you think of that eye as a filter, that means it can be healthy or unhealthy. And so he says... 
You're, when your eyes are healthy, your whole body is filled with light. In other words, if your eye is completely clear, unmarred, light comes through unfiltered. When your eye is actually in a healthy place, all of the goodness, all of the health, the life that God is trying to instill into you, it can actually take place. When your eye is in a good spot, your, your, your mind, your body, all of your existence can finally find what God has to offer to you. But of course, then the reverse is true, where Jesus says, if your eye is unhealthy, your whole body is filled with darkness. In other words, if your eye is then blurry or scratched or covered or even poisoned, right, then we can't see clearly. And so we think we see this blur, this blob. I think that might be what God is showing me, but because we can't see clearly, we don't know for sure. And then instead of being filled with his light, we're at risk of being filled instead with darkness. And so Jesus is trying to help us understand that something that happens about how we focus, how we perceive the world actually completely changes and alters how we then are able to engage it and even our connection and relationship with God. Now, if we think about some things that maybe don't feel like a big deal, if we're thinking about like, you know, well, every once in a while I read the news, is that really that big of a deal? Every once in a while I watch these kind of movies, or every once in a while you might be thinking it's not that much. And if we thought about things like ice cream and ruts, we're like, yeah, that's not that big a deal. I can quit when I want to. But what if... For you in particular, because if you, if you remember last week, we talked strongly about how God wants to interact with you individually. He wants to have one-on-one -on -one time with you. What if you needed to shift away from some of the habits, the things that you're consistently focusing on and taking in? What if God wants to take some of that focus away because what's happening is it's actually darkness and we just think it might be light? What if it's actually slowly decaying who we are as opposed to filling us with the life that only God can bring? Because some of this stuff is probably more detrimental than we want to give it credit for. And that's where Jesus starts to give us this warning. He says, and then, if the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep that darkness is. You don't even see that the things that are coming inside of you, the things that you're focusing on are actually destructive. What, when this tends to happen, it's because we usually have shifted from thinking of God as relational back into thinking about God as transactional. We stop thinking about God as someone that we can talk to, interact with, ask questions of, and experience. And instead, he's this thing or this power or this being that's out there. And if he were here, this is what I'm pretty sure he would say. And it becomes much more transactional because we're trying to figure out, well, what would God say in this moment? And that's where we can often get ourselves in trouble. Because we start saying things like, well, I'm pretty sure God would want me to. Or I'm pretty sure God wouldn't care if I. And we start thinking and talking much more hypothetically as opposed to relationally. Because if I were to look at you in the seat and I just started talking to this person as if you weren't there and started saying, well, I'm, what, I'm pretty sure what they would want. And you might be like, they're, they're, they're right there. And you'd be like, hey, hey. I'm right here, just ask me. Well, I'm pretty sure they would want me to, 
talk to this person, date this person, watch this movie. I'm supposed to be happy. Shouldn't he want to bless me? I want to be rich anyway. Isn't he going to? And we start filling in all of these blanks, but we're not actually relationally asking God what he wants in the first place. And so where this darkness can creep in is when we stop interacting with God as a person and we start acting as if we know exactly what we would want at any time. You ever walk through your house at night, like, and it's dark, and you don't turn on the lights almost out of principle? Like, I know where my dining room table is. I know where the ottoman is. I know where the kitchen counters are. Like, I know how to walk through my house. And like 75 times out of 76, you're right. But that 76th time you forgot that the Legos were out? And that's like the torture of all tortures. I'm pretty sure hell is just Legos. Like, not ones you can build, none of them will stick, and you just walk on them. Like, that's probably hell. Because stepping on a Lego hurts more than almost anything else I've ever experienced, right? What Jesus is trying to show us is that if we want to operate transactionally, if we want to assume that the things that we're focusing on, the things that are filling up our very identity, if we want to assume that they're good, then keep the lights out and hope that they're light. What Jesus is offering is saying, how about I turn the lights on? And you might have even been right about what I would have said or what I want. But one thing that I can do is point out the Legos. One thing I can do is say, you actually forgot that you left the bucket out. You forgot that you pulled the chair out. You forgot, I can point that stuff out. I can help you navigate life. I can give you what is healthy and godly and good if you'll just allow my light to actually shine into your life. But what happens when we start interacting transactionally is we forgot to make that invitation. And so we walk through our house in the dark, assuming we know the way. Now, every time I think through some version of this, and every time I have a conversation along these lines, all of that tends to make a decent amount of sense. So why is it that we still find ourselves in ruts? Why is it that we still want to hold on to things, believe things that we kind of know God isn't necessarily that interested in or that he's not a fan of or that he hasn't locked on to, but we kind of do. We're kind of hoping that somehow maybe God will change his mind and come to see what we've come to see. Why is it that we still have those types of mindsets? Or I asked it this way in our notes, what actually pulls us into that false light? What pulls us into that thing that makes us feel comfortable believing whatever it is that we want to believe and not ask God about or ignore God about, even though he's been trying to get through our eyes and trying to get our focus and get our attention and show us what is actually good. One of the things is straight up other people. One of the things that pulls us into false light is other people. Our friends sometimes make terrible suggestions. Terrible suggestions. Um, some of you know that I've been on a little bit of a nutrition journey for the last X amount of months or whatever. And it's amazing to me how many people will say something like, well, who cares? It's just one piece of cake. Well, who cares? It's just one piece of pizza. It's not that big deal. And what I want to do is pick them up and body slam them. I'm like, what you're asking me to do is I just finally got pulled out of a rut and what you're asking me to do is hop around to the corner and go, wee, right back into that rut. Stop, <laughs> like, right? People make the worst suggestions sometimes. 
Do you really need to wake up early and spend time with God? Do you, you don't need to go to church this weekend. Come out with us to the boat. Why are you doing that? It's one more hit. It's one more drink. It's just this. It's just that. It's just bikinis. It's not nudity. Just look at this anyway. Other people pull us into this stuff, right? And because for whatever reason, we want to believe that person and not ask God, who's right here to talk to will follow that person into false light at times. Now, that feels good to blame other people like that, but sometimes it's just our own selfish desires. You want what you want. I want what I want. And almost every time you have found yourself in trouble, every time I found myself in trouble, it's because I got what I wanted. Some of us have dated someone that like our parents and our friends and like everybody that knows and loves us for the long haul was like, you probably shouldn't date. Even their ex was like, don't date this person. And you're like, no, this is the one. It'll be different with them. And then all of a sudden you go through the worst breakup of my life and I can't believe they did the thing that everybody warned me about. And sometimes our desires get us in trouble. Sometimes we're the ones that just run around and go, wee, right back into the rut. I want what I want. And because I want what I want, I will find anything I can possibly find to defend it. I will read anything I possibly can that justifies my way of thinking. I know God says, and I know all of my godly mentors, and I know all the people that have helped me understand, but if this person, this one random article I found, this one mini piece of advice, this, I found it, and therefore, see, I can have what I want. Our desires will lead us into false light. And the third thing, and this one is probably going to sound the oddest to some of us, but there is a spiritual battle, and it pulls us into the rut when we allow it to. I know it can sound weird, and some of us want to put this whole idea of spiritual things around us, like in a nice little box, and put it on the shelf, and maybe one day when we're gone, like our kids can deal with that. Like, just like, I don't want to deal with that. Saying there's things like demonic forces, just, ugh, I don't want to talk about it. But Jesus says you, has a, you have an enemy and he is seeking to devour and destroy you. And he wants your relationships to, to absolutely explode. He wants your addiction to come raging back. He wants, all of, he wants your mind twisted. He wants you upside down. He wants you thinking wrong about everything. He wants to destroy your life. And you're like, I'm not sure I wanted that and I don't know who's influencing that, but there is an enemy and he's trying to show us false light so that darkness is what defines us instead of what Jesus has. We pursue these things at worst and sometimes we just give in at best. But when we try to start thinking about the things that are these false lights, one of the ones I feel like is very, very prominent right now is this idea that inherently at the core, we and humanity are good. And therefore, we deserve good. Now, we will pause for a second and maybe remind or at least demonstrate to all of us that we are created as a reflection of who God is. Your worth, your value stems from the fact that the creator of all things chose to breathe life into you chose to give you a heartbeat, chose to give you your own unique stamp on this planet, chose to say, I want this person to be my son or daughter. 
but we're very flawed from the get-go. False light courses through our veins. We are so good at messing up, making mistakes, being rebellious, or even being evil, and that's what the Bible calls sin. And we all have that in us. And right all the way back to the very beginning of the Bible, in Genesis 3, God says, because of your sin, this earth is going to be cursed. And the life that you live is going to be hard, and it's going to have trials, and it's going to have turmoils, and there are going to things, there are going to be prickers and thorns, and all of these issues simply because sin creates destruction. And then when you complicate that by the fact that it's not just your sin, but we, you culminate that with 8 billion other people on the planet also living in that same destructive tendency, and you culminate that over the last X amount of thousands of years of people messing up and sinning and hurting each other and destroying things, when we look at all of that come together, and yet then we'll believe, well, I'm a good person and I deserve what's good. I deserve to be healthy. I don't deserve to get the medical diagnosis. I deserve that promotion. Why did someone else get it? I deserve to make more money. Why does it seem no matter how hard I work, I can't get ahead? I deserve this. So why am I the one that has to have that tendency or that addiction? I deserve to have this. Why is my family the one that has to have the extreme mental health crisis in it? And now we have to deal with that every day. I deserve good. So God, why are you failing me. You see, if, if we have the mindset, the baseline that I am good, then we forget about all of the things that actually we deserve. I deserve people to yell at me because I've mistreated them. I've spoke to them harshly. I've hurt people. I've cheated people. I've done all the things. We've all done the things none of us wish we've ever done, and then yet we still believe, of course, but I deserve all the good stuff. But you see, when we believe a false light, it messes with our whole paradigm. Because now we don't think we have to run to God to discover light. We think we already have the light, and now we're mad at God for bringing the darkness into our life, and that is backwards. So God wants to show us how we can actually relate with him. How can I bring you into a close relationship and how can we then discover the truth, which is that I have the light and I want to infuse it into you. I want to give you that goodness. I want to give you my grace. I want to give you that health. I want to show you what you're on this earth for. I want to show you the deepest joys of life, but you have to do it through what's true, not through what's false. This is so hard for us to do, and I think that's why Jesus says, if the darkness you have in you, if you think it's light, how deep and dark is that darkness? Because some of you are still, Joe, I don't know. Because I feel like I'm a good person. And that's exactly what Jesus is addressing. Now, this is not the time to just wrap things up and let us all feel like, man, that feels really bleak. Where do I go from here? I think Jesus also offers us a pathway to discover, well, how do we 
unfilter our eyes? How do we actually allow that light into our life? How do we allow our identity to discover the goodness and the grace and the life that is found in him? How do we do that? In other words, how do we replace false light with true light? I want you to humor me for a second. I want you to put your hand in front of your face. Go ahead. I can see you. Montrose, I see you. Okay, hand in front of your face. At home, I see you too. It's awkward, but just kidding. Okay, hand in front of your face. Now, put it in between you and me. So look at me, but your hand should be in the way. If I were Pastor Jeff, I'd make some joke about right, how good I look through your hand right now, but I'm not him. So, But look at me, okay? You're looking at me, not your hand. Look at me, not your hand. Now tell me all about the lines on your hand and the uniqueness of your th- fingerprints. But don't look at your hand. Look at me. You can't do it. You can't see that detail that's right in front of your face. You can put your hands down. You looked ridiculous, by the way. <laughs> Thank you. Um, you can't do it. You can't look at something that might even be right in front of your face if the whole time you're like, but I want to see what's past it. And so the first thing that I think Jesus lays out for us, if we're going to replace false light with true light, is we got to focus. And right after he talks about eyes and lamps and body and unhealthy eyes and that we just walked through, the next thing he says is no one can ha- serve two masters. For you will hate one and love the other You'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. This this is such a big example temptation of what can keep us from focusing on God. Trust God. He's your provider. Trust God. He's your provider. But yeah, but I have to have my bank account and I have to have my 401k and I have to make sure that I, and we're like, God, move for a second so I can get all this established. You can't serve both God, who's trying to put himself right in front of you. Let's relate. Let's connect. Let's have that relationship and yet be pushing it aside because if we're pushing it aside, I can't focus on the very things that are right in front of me. You can't serve two masters. The Old Testament is full of this language about how God will not have anyone else take his place, that he's a jealous God. There should be no other idols before him. And at quick glance, quick read, that sounds ridiculous like God Like, slow your horses a little bit. Like, that sounds a little audacious, don't you think? I mean, you, 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 you're jealous. Well, relationally speaking, that makes all the sense in the world. If I got some daddy-daughter time and all I'm doing is scrolling on this and looking at this and checking social media and trying to catch up on some emails because it was a crazy day and doing this and, yeah, 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 honey, that sounds really, really great. Wait, what was that? My daughter is jealous me. Not, not jealous of me, jealous for me. Dad, will you put your phone down? Will you spend time with me? My wife, correctly, is not jealous of me. She's jealous for me. If I'm constantly looking at other women and constantly flirting with other people and constantly finding my social intimacy with others... Any person that understands healthy relationships will understand, well, Joe, you're putting all of that effort into other people instead of your spouse. She's jealous for my attention. It's a healthy thing. 
hey, I would love to hang out with you. And then the whole time I spend networking instead of hanging out with you. You name it, relationally speaking. When God says, focus on me, this is actually healthy for all of us. His desire to be the focus is relationally healthy for me, for you, and for our connection with him. You see, if we're not focused on who God is, we're going to miss the point completely. So not that long ago, I was down in Columbus, and uh, we had actually went to Legoland. It was just a fun little thing over the summer with my niece and nephew and kid, and we're pulling out, and it's raining. It's like downpouring. And, uh, you know, all of those parking lots down there are just crazy and twisty and turny, and I pull up to a four-way stop, but I pull up. There's four people pulling up to this intersection. So I'm going to try to draw this out for you. And I pull up fourth to a four-way stop. Those of you that know how to drive, at least correctly, know when I should go in this equation, okay? So four people stopped. These two people stopped, but the first person to arrive at the intersection is across from me, and they have their left blinker on, and they're not budging, and they were there first, and it was obvious, and in my mind, I'm like, go, and it gets to the point where we're just waiting. Seconds and seconds and seconds go by. I'm like, I start actually using my arm like, go. You know, go. My wife's like, settle down. I'm like, but they're there first. Go, right? They finally go. Again, I was there last. So these two cars on the side, now they're waiting. I'm like, go, right? Like, get out of the way. They finally go. I pull through, and as I pull through, I, gl- I just happen to glance over to the left. And, you know, the car that was across from me, turning left, didn't have a stop sign. And then I glance back in my rearview mirror, and I didn't have one either. <laughs> Which means they were all looking at me, saying, Go! <laughs> But you see, when I got in the car, it was rainy, and my daughter was asking questions, and can I pull my Lego box out, and my nephew was saying this, and I'm trying to navigate all that, and I don't know my way out of that area of Columbus for sure, so I wanted to know how am I getting back to 71, so I got my, my, my directions out, and I'm trying to figure that out, and I see an intersection, and it's four-way stop, and so I stop. I can't do all of that and drive, at least not effectively all the time, at the same time. I can't serve two masters. I can't do both. Not well. I think I can. I I, I see glimpses of, I I didn't run the car off the road. I just made three other people have a really good story about this moron driver. (laughs) Some of us, we went through that intersection and we never even looked at our rearview mirror and so we still think we're in the right and our story just ends these three morons. And what God is trying to do is say, you know what, if you focus on me, if you give me what devotion could actually look like, not only will you be more connected to me than you could ever imagine, I can actually show you how to navigate life in a way that will bring the best good and the most health and the most light on me that could ever happen. Sometimes these things are obvious, 
that get in our way. Sometimes these ruts are hard, but either way, if we focus on God, he'll help me. The second thing that we can do to remove false light and replace it with true light is we can be humble and have relational prayer. We talked a lot about this last week, about what Jesus is asking for in prayer. But how do we discuss these things with him? And are we willing to say, I might not have it all figured out? Are we willing to say that my eye might be unhealthy? Are we willing to say that the way that I understand things actually might not be the way that this actually works out? That just because I think I have discovered something, just because I'm pretty sure God should get with the times, just because I'm pretty sure that this book is antiquated, just because I'm pretty sure that the way that relationships are actually supposed to play out, because the way that work actually is supposed to happen, and you know, with the recession and all of this, just because, and I have this all figured out, are we willing to be humble enough and approach God and said, God, I actually need your light to navigate me through this. I need you. One of my favorite scriptures in all the Bible is Psalm 51. It's this wonderful prayer. But right in the middle of it, right at the crux of it, David, he says, create in me a clean heart, O God. Are we willing to approach God, our Father? Are we willing to approach him and say, I think there are times that my eyes might be unhealthy. I might not be seeing things the way that you are. Would you cleanse me? Would you show me? Would you lead me? If we want to replace false light in our life with true light, we have to be in a humble place to say, God, you're the one with the light. I'm the one with the body, the being, the identity that needs shifted and focused and brought into the reality that you created it to be in. And the third thing that we can do to change the filter on our eyes, or excuse me, to replace uh, false light with true light is to change the filter on our own eyes. Some of us, the reason that we struggle so much with wondering whether or not what God says is true, we're wondering if his way is the best way, or if we're just honest with ourselves, one of the reasons we end up right back in that rut is because we refuse to change the things that we filter the world by. And we watch the news in a way that we actually look at God through the lens of the news. We look at what people are doing and should be or shouldn't be doing through the lens of the news as opposed to flipping it and watching the news through the lens of God. I know who God is. He is unchanging. He loves me. He's inviting me into a relationship. He's the only thing that can heal me, save me, and bring me to the fullness of light. Maybe I should interpret what's happening around me through him. Some of us, we have um, content absorption ruts where we get our information is the exact same places, and some of them are very unhealthy. We follow certain accounts on social media 
And all it does is continue to make us feel worse and worse and worse and worse about ourselves and our reality and our spouse. And I wish my marriage was like theirs. And I wish I could do school like they do. And I wish I could find these shortcuts. And I wish my body could look like theirs. And I wish I could find someone like that. And I wish the world would work like that. And I wish that the, the other politicians would get their act together like these politicians. And I wish and I wish and I wish. And all we do is consume this stuff. And it just filters in through our eyes and fills us up and changes how we think and operate and we wonder then why we're stuck because we're in a content absorption rut what if we changed the filter and instead of looking at all the houses that you wish your house looked like and all of the people that you wish you looked like and all the people that you wish your significant other looked like and all the people that are twisting and turning relationships and, and government and all this stuff upside down, instead of focusing on all of that, what if instead we focused on something that brought us to the feet of Christ, that brought us to pasture, that brought us a salve to our anxieties that brought us to a place of trust and confidence in whose we are and who God is? What if we stopped following that and instead started to fill our minds and hearts with this? What if we took off some of those things that mar our eyes and poison our eyes and instead of focusing on those that we get it out of the way and look to Jesus? What if? We don't have to follow those things. We don't have to watch those movies. We don't have to watch every episode of that series. We don't have to watch, we don't have to read the news. We don't have to do any of that. And at a minimum, shouldn't God be the filter by which we perceive it all? Jesus, do you want me to watch this? Jesus, am I in a good place right now for me to read this book? Jesus, am I in a place right now? Can I handle someone else complaining about life, knowing my tendencies to want to be a complainer? Can I handle one more? Let's change the filter. Jesus said to his disciples at one point, he said, you're truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings and you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. The truth will set you free. I want to fill you with my light. I want to show you who you can be, who you were always meant to be as far as I'm concerned. I want to show you how the sin can be more and more pushed aside and you can more and more have the light within you that I give and finally you'll find the life that I've always wanted you to have and experience. It's just going to look probably differently than you thought, but boy, oh boy, what if? And if we could replace the false light with the true light, our connection and our relationship to God would be so much more vibrant. The filters would be changed and cleansed and that connection would be so clear and the things that he is showing us would renew us and help us and instill joy as opposed to confuse us because we were pretty sure this other definition, I don't know how to balance. I just feel like Jesus is trying to help show us the pathway to life. So he invites us to be with him. 
He invites us to focus on him, for him to be our master, not all this other stuff. For our eyes to be clear, to be unfiltered, so that the light of God can be shown in to our very, very being. The song that the band is going to start us with here in this next moment is going to use some language I just think is so beautiful with where God has landed this passage and this whole idea of like, God, would you draw me close? I want to be where you are. Because I need your light. My definitions don't get me where I want to be. My my desires, sometimes the people in my life and certainly the spiritual, I need you, Jesus. Will you draw me close and help me to be where you are? Will you pray with me? Father God, thank you so much for your faithful invitation that we can ask you at any time We can always seek you and when we knock on the door, you are there to answer and invite us in. And so if we come to you saying, God, I need my eyes cleansed. I need my heart changed. You're faithful and you're good and you're just and you will help us. You'll forgive us for the ways in which we've mistreated our relationship and relationship with other people. And you will draw us in close and begin to give us the light and the life that we so desperately need. So Jesus, no matter where we're at right now, whether you're renewing a faithful spirit within us and our relationship with you, or you're starting a new one right at this very moment, meet us, show us, change us and bring us into life. And it's your name we pray, Lord, amen.